All right, uh, we're going to be back in the book of Judges this morning. Um, last week we did kind of an overview of the book, some history, some background, and uh, we looked at the first couple of verses. We're going to go through those verses again and take a little bit deeper look today. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 1, and we're going to do look at verses 1 through 8, and uh, really start to dig into uh, what it is to be a Christian and a biblical Christian and um, what God intended for His people. And we are His people, so what He intends for us. <clears throat> Judges chapter 1 and verse number 1. It says, Now after the death of Joshua came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon his brother, Come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him, and Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they slew of them in Bezek ten thousand men. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Now the children of Judah had fought against Jerusalem, and had taken it, and smitten it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. Um... Let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into the thought this morning. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this glorious day, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity. God, we thank you for a day that you've given us in this country to celebrate mothers. I know this Sunday school message isn't a Mother's Day message, but uh, Lord, I just pray today that as we go to the park, we would uh, be a blessing, Lord, that we would bring the love of God to the children so that they can take it home to their mothers, to their families. And Lord, that we would be effective today. Lord, that we would be that bold and effective witness uh, that would see souls one for you. I pray that you would give us fruit. Please guide us this morning as we look at your word and see some truth about what it is to be a biblical Christian. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, brother. Sorry about being late. You're fine. So, we're back in Judges chapter 1. And uh, remember that Joshua has now died. Just kind of a review from last week. And uh, Joshua died at 110 years old. And we sat down and figured out if he was at least 20 because he was one of the two spies that went into the land. And everyone over 20 died but Joshua and Caleb. So we, he was at least 20 years old. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That would make him at least 60 so if he's 110 now, when he's passed away, they've roughly lived under Joshua in the promised land for 50 years. Give or take a few. Plenty of time for them to have gone in and taken the land and done what God wanted them to do. In Joshua chapter 14, chapters 14 through 17, we see Joshua actually divides out the land as they've gone in and began to take it. He went in and divided the land to the different tribes. We're not going to go back and read through all that. 
but uh, it does parallel some of the stuff that we're seeing here in chapter 1. Uh, the story that we're going to get into next week about Caleb and his daughter and Othniel, uh, that is actually in Joshua chapter 15. Um, it is just Samuel telling the history of how the land was divided, and this is part of, part of that. It doesn't mean that it happened before Joshua died. It, it happened the way it says in Judges, but there's that time span there where this should have all been taken care of. And we need to understand that even under a strong leadership like Joshua and, and Moses, uh, the people still have to choose to do the right things. And here, we're going to see some new beginnings. And we're going to see, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, that you know Joshua's died, and now the children of Israel uh, have become those late teens, early 20s, uh, young men and women that we see in our own families that are now stepping out on their own and they're having to make their own decisions. They're being forced into adulthood. And we're going to see some good things and we're going to see some bad things. Uh, we see that right after uh, Joshua passes away, in verse number one, they immediately step up and say, who shall go up against the Canaanites? So they're still immediately seeking the Lord and they're seeking his face. And God gives them an answer. And it's amazing that, that God will give us an answer and we'll obey it, kind of. And that's the way Israel is here. God said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. In verse number 3, And Judah said unto Simeon his brother, Come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with, we, with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. Now, we might not see this as a, a huge issue, but this is the beginnings of a lack of faith. And this is something that, that is historical throughout the whole Word of God. Uh, it's not, this is not the first time that Israel has lacked faith. This is not going to be the last time that they've lacked faith. I mean, even the apostles, as they're, walk, as they're walking with Jesus were chided over and over again for having little faith. If you remember the story of Peter as he walked on the water, uh, he, he took the steps out of the boat. He had the, the faith to step out of the boat and stand on the water, and then it went away as he looked at the storm. And really, th those are the times where we become afraid and we become worried, and, and that's our flesh creeping up. And that's what's happening here with Judah. Judah has been given this task and said, God said, you're going to go, and, and you I'm going to deliver the Canaanites into your hand. And Judah said, yeah, but I'm scared. So I'm going to take somebody with me because God's not enough. And in our own lives, we have this time where God's just not enough. We get a, we get a diagnosis and, and it's some major illness and, and uh, instead of running to God and seeking His face in prayer and, and having Him tell us what He would have us to do, we, we run to the doctors. Now, I'm not saying that doctors are evil. I am saying that the few times that doctors are mentioned in the Bible, uh, the word doctor is used. One, they're debating against Jesus when he's 12 years old and Jesus is winning the debate because he is God. And two, they're ineffective for the woman that had, had the issue of blood for 12 years and she had wasted all of her money 
And, and, and we've seen, you know, doctors practice medicine. They haven't perfected it. They don't understand the human body the way that God does. So, because God created it, and, and they can't duplicate that. So there are things that they just don't know. I, I go back to, to my father-in-law when he was diagnosed with his cancer. And, uh, of course, he had fallen off the ladder and broken a bunch of bones in his back, and they found the cancer, and, and just one thing piled on another, on another, on another. And um, he went ahead with the normal route of treatment, and he began to to take was it, was it chemo or was it radiation that he took first? Uh, he did one round of one day of chemo. Yeah, and um, so he he followed the doctors. He he did their one round of chemo, and and just it destroyed him. It, it ruined. It, he he couldn't function. And uh, he didn't want to feel that way for however long the rest of his life was going to be. At that time, they were giving him six months with treatment. Sorry. They were giving him 12 months without treatment and 18 months with treatment. Okay. Sorry. So 12 months with treatment or without treatment and 18 months with treatment. So a year to a year and a half uh, saying that the treatment was going to be basically ineffective and he was going to die in a year and a half anyway. So... After all of this, he really began to pray, and he really began to seek the Lord, and, and he began to study. And, and God revealed to him how he should be living. And, and he completely he went to see some doctors in Mexico with an experimental treatment and had peace about that and, and completely changed his diet. And because of that, was given six more years. Hmm. Um, he was able to see his youngest daughter get married to actually perform the ceremony. He was able to see his oldest son come back to the family, come back to the Lord, get remarried. He was able to see his family put back together because he went to the Lord and sought the Lord's face. Israel's not always been that way. I mean, we can go all the way back to Genesis, and of course we can go to Genesis chapter 1 and see the first man and woman that, that God ever created that physically walked with God in the garden and we can see that uh, Eve was tempted, and she saw the fruit, and it, God wasn't enough for her. What God had given her wasn't enough, so she ate of the fruit, and she gave to her husband. But then we can go on, and we can see Abraham uh, before he was Abraham, when he was still Abram, and, and God had told him to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and leave his family and leave everything, and, and he took Lot with him, and Lot was a thorn in his flesh. Lot was a problem. But then, uh, as, as he traveled, he came on hard times, and he saw a famine in the land, and he went down into Egypt. And as he's going into Egypt, he's looking at everything around him and becoming afraid, and, and he's seeing that his wife is beautiful and that Pharaoh is an evil and wicked king that takes what he wants. And he said, don't tell him you're my wife because they'll kill me. Tell Tell him you're my sister. And in a way, he was right. He was only telling a half-truth. He wasn't telling a complete lie. Just a little white lie. But because of that, Pharaoh's house was plagued. And, you know, who better to be plagued than the world? But Pharaoh's house was plagued. And Abraham's name and reputation were drugged through the mud. They were kicked out of Egypt. They were not able to be effective in Egypt. And then, you know, we have 
Abraham come out and him and Lot have issues because they both have so much wealth and Lot goes into Sodom. And Lot, who the Bible tells us is a righteous man, I believe that we will see Lot in heaven one day, goes into Sodom and instead of being the bold and effective witness for God that he should be, he just follows along with everybody else. And he ends up sitting as a leader in the gate, leading them away from God and, and having to be drugged out of the city by the angels. I mean, imagine if right now two angels walked into that door and said, get out, we're going to destroy Maxwell. How many of us would have to be drugged out by the hands? But Lot had to. And as Lot and his two daughters and his wife uh, are leaving, we know that he had at least two more daughters and two more sons-in-laws, people that he should have he should have had an effect on. But as they're being drugged out of the city, Lot's wife turns back and she gets turned into a pillar of salt. All of these are small things. And we see God is going to still bless Judah and he's still going to give them the victory. But we already, in the first three verses, see a very small turning. And we see a lack of faith and a lack of, of contentment in God. Again, Judah, we see God gives Judah the victory. He, they go in and they, they, they kill 10,000 of the Canaanites. Now, again, this is something that should have already been done. The Canaanites should have already been removed from the land. Israel had not done, even under Joshua, a strong leader who had taken them and, and waged war. Joshua was a bloody man. His whole life, he did nothing but wage war. Yet, it had not been finished. But God, even in our slight disobedience, because we're still going in the right direction, God is going to give Judah the victory. But we're going to see later that God didn't give them the complete victory. And I know in my own life, I have missed this so much in my time from the time I got saved to now I have missed being in that perfect will of God as, as I'm taking Wyatt out and trying to teach him how to drive and having to uh, look at the green grass uh, as it's whizzing underneath my window um, we understand that there's a path that we're supposed to travel on and within that path uh, we have our own little space. We don't want to encroach into the other people's space because that will cause a disaster. And we don't want to get out of that space into the space of the animals because that will cause another disaster. We have that perfect place where we're supposed to be, where we are the most effective. Brother Jesse uh, went out to Nebraska, to Kansas. I keep wanting to Nebraska. I want to mix them up and then I mix them up again. Anyway, went out to Nebraska this week. And uh, this weekend, and, and raced his motorcycle. And uh, his goal was to get around the track as fast as possible. Now, I don't know how much study he did. Uh, I don't know how many times he'd been to the track. But I do know, as with NASCAR and some of the other racing that I've watched and understanding how they drive, that there is a path that is the fastest. 
there, there's a spot, especially in NASCAR, there's a spot where uh, the tires grip the most. In drag racing, there's, there's, within their lane, there's spots that grip the most that will get them the fastest down the track and the safest. And we have to find that sweet spot. When we get out of it a little bit, God is still going to bless and He's still going to get us where we need to go, but He's not going to give us what He really desires for us. Now, I'm not going to get too far into it, but we can, we're going to see later on with Gideon. Gideon takes 300 men and destroys the Midianites and never has to use his sword. He holds it up and waves it. And he shouts and he breaks the lantern in his other hand. And God turns the Midianites against themselves. We see things like this over and over again um, in, I think it's 1 Samuel 14. Now, 1 Samuel 14 is David. As we, we get ready to go out and, and uh, put up Goliath. You know, 1 Samuel 14 is the story of David going out and, and killing Goliath. <coughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm wrong. 1 Samuel 14, verse number 1, is the story of, jo of Jonathan, Saul's son. 1 Samuel 14, 1 says, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sina. And the, for <coughs> Sorry, the forefront of the one was situated northward over against Michmesh, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. If you jump down uh, to verse number 13, it says, And Jonathan climbed up upon, climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter with Jonathan, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men within, as it were, an half-acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was a trembling in the host, in the field, and among the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Jonathan just had faith. He had faith in the Lord. Him and his armor bearer went up and, and took this fight to the Philistines. And they say, if we die, we die. Uh, we, we skipped over those verses, but uh, they're going to they're gonna say, you know, if we go up and we die, we die. 
They just had faith. And they turned the Philistines away. In 1 Samuel 17, we see the story of, this is the story of David and, and Goliath. And, and we know that Saul tried to give David his armor and, and David took it all off. Because he hadn't proved it, he hadn't tested it. And David, a young man, 13, 14 years old, he wasn't old enough to go to battle. He was old enough to tend his father's sheep, but he wasn't old enough to go to battle. And he went out with a sling and his shepherd's staff. He picked up five smooth stones out of the brook and killed the champion of the Philistines. And the entire army of the Philistines ran away. And 1 Kings 18 um, this is a story that we don't hear about much. First uh, Kings eighteen and chapter and verse number eighteen. We'll start in verse number seventeen. And it came to pass when or I am all mixed up. This is the story of Ahab and Elijah. And Elijah is going to go up against the, the 450 prophets of Baal and the other 400 prophets. 850 men that are calling on God and dancing on the altars. And God is going to, uh, calling on their God and dancing on the altars and cutting themselves. And, and God is going to answer Elijah and he's going to put fire on the altar and, and take up the sacrifice. God, with very little, provides the victory. But then, in verse in chapter nineteen, Elijah gets scared and he goes and he runs and hides under the juniper tree, because Jezebel's going to kill him. In Second Kings three, this is one I would really like to talk about. Second Kings three, this is the story that uh, we don't hear very much. We'll start in verse number fourteen. It says, and Elisha. We have Elijah, now this is Elisha, said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass, when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain, Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand, and ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree, and stop all wells of water, and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning, when the meat offering was offered, that, behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water." Now, the Israelite and the, the, the army of Israel and the army of Judah were going to fight, and they didn't have water. They were, they were afraid they were going to die of thirst. So the God, God is providing water for them. But if we continue on, in verse number 21, it says, When all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were, about, that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border. And they rose up early in the morning, and the sun shone upon the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, This is the blood, this is blood, the kings are surely slain, and they have smitten one another, now therefore Moab, to the spoil. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites, so they fled before them. But they went forward, smiting the Moabites, even in their country, 
And they beat down the cities, and every good piece of land cast every man his stone and filled it. And they stopped all the wells of water and felled all the good trees. Only in Kirjasepha, or Kirharaseth, left they the stones thereof. Howbeit the slingers went about it and smote it. God used this water not only to quench the thirst of the Israelites, but also to distract the Moabites. They were coming in unready to fight, unprepared. And God set them at an ambush. And we see stories like this over and over again where uh, there's another story, and I didn't take the time to find it, where the army is coming and Israel is prepared over here. And when the army gets to here to come fight Israel, God had set an ambush and destroys the army and Israel doesn't have to fight. What can God do with us when we are right where we need to be? The point of this lesson is, uh, of this series, is not uh, to show us how bad we are, how evil we are. We already know. Um, My dad used to say, if you were twice the man you think you are, sorry, if you were you are twice the man you think you are sorry if you were half the man you think you are you'd be twice the man you are he was saying you're not nearly what you think you are a pastor friend of mine says don't worry you're twice as bad as you think you are as much as we understand about our heart and how desperately wicked it is We're still seeing it from the world's perspective. We're not seeing it from God's eyes. Even those of us that are saved, that are are trying to serve God and, and really trying, we still have things in our life that we need to get rid of. We still have these little weebles and wobbles of faith where God is blessing but he's not giving us the full blessing. Christ, in the Gospels, said if you had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you could move mountains. He promised the apostles as he was going away that they would do greater miracles than he did. Those promises are for us too. And yet, we're not seeing. I'm, I've got to admit, I'm, I'm apprehensive about going down to the park today because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to rain. I don't know if it's going to snow. I don't know if Goliath is going to blow over and land on some kid and we're going to have to send him to the hospital. And I, I don't know. I, my <coughs> mind goes to these really weird places. But I do know that that's where we need to be. That we need to go down and with... The best that we have, we need to present the Lord to the people down there. Yeah, we might get a little wet. We might have to pick Goliath up. We might even have to put him away because it's just too dangerous. But that shouldn't stop us. We're going to go on and we're going to see something that it fits, but it doesn't fit. In verse number 5, it says, And they found Adonai Bezek and Bezek, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Now this, is, this fits. This is 
Judah and Simeon going and they're destroying the Canaanites. Verse number 6, But Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. Now, I've known several men in my life. Uh, the rodeo arena that we're going to be down by in the park is the Sunny Walker Arena. Um, his sister Dee lives just outside of town. She was a, a barrel racer in the PRCA. She's now in charge of the water department for, for the city of Maxwell. Uh, but Sonny was an accomplished calf roper. Even, uh, even though as a young man he got his hand caught in an auger uh, while he was moving grain out of the bin and, and his thumb got removed. He was still able to, to rope. He was still able to grip the rope well enough and, and still do what he needed to do. But he wasn't able to really excel. He could have been a world champion. Our thumbs are what separates us from, well, God is what separates us from the rest of the world, but our thumbs is what science says separates us from the animal kingdom. We're able to do so much. We're able to pick up a pencil and write, or pick up a paintbrush and, and make beautiful art. And I don't know about you, but I know that people have to relearn how to walk if they ever have their toes removed. My grandmother just had not her, her big toe, but the toe next to it had to have it removed. And she still walks really funny. She walks like a penguin. Um, granted, she's 81 years old and has arthritis and can't move anyway. She's about as tall as a penguin. But she walks like a penguin. But if you don't have your big toes, your big toes are what stop your feet from rolling in. And they, you can still walk, you can still move around, but it limits what you can do. And the reason that Adonai Bezek did this to these kings is to subjugate them. He cut off their thumbs so they could never hold a weapon again. He cut off their toes so they couldn't run away. He was humbling them so that they would serve him. And it says that they gathered their meat under his table they had to go to him and seek their daily bread they had to go to him and seek everything that they got there's a, a story um, of a reporter going down to Cuba and uh, speaking with Fidel Castro and, and doing an interview and, and <clears throat> the reporter asks him how he was able to have the people so loyal if you, you young people probably don't know anything about Fidel Castro, but you older people should know that uh, he was an evil, evil man. He did things to his people that are unspeakable. He kept them in, in living conditions. He was a dictator in Cuba and kept them in living conditions that, that people couldn't survive. Yet, they flocked to protect him. And this reporter couldn't wrap their head around it and Fidel, uh, he, he reached down, there was a chicken wandering around, uh, because it's Cuba, there was a chicken wandering around, and he reached down and he picked up the chicken, and he said, see this chicken? And he plucked off all the feathers, while the chicken was still alive. 
just cruel torture. Just pulled all the feathers out. He set the chicken down, and the chicken immediately went between his feet and huddled there. He said, if I take everything away, they have to rely on me. I have become the only thing that can provide for them. Now, we have a loving God that wants to be that. He wants to be the only thing that we seek. He wants to have that worship. He wants to be the only thing that blesses us. But He's not going to be a dictator. He's given us free will to choose. He's given us the ability to choose to follow Him. Now, we're going to see throughout the book that, and through our study in Jonah that He's going to help move us. He's going to bring things into our life to push us here and push us there and to hopefully bring us to that point of serving Him. But He's not going to force us. We still have to choose. Judah here chose to follow God, but chose to do it their way. Adonai Bezik said it perfectly. As I have done, so God hath requited me. We reap what we sow. If we can't in our heart give everything we have to God he's not going to give everything to us we're going to suffer and we're going to hurt and we're going to, we're going to go through hard times now uh, without getting ahead I'm, I'm not going to be in Jonah today uh, but as I was studying out last night I, I came to a parallel between Jonah and Paul Paul in his last missionary journey as he's going to Rome took almost the exact same route that Jonah would have taken to Tarshish they both went through storms they came out completely differently because Jonah still only gave part of himself back to God Paul from the beginning from his conversion gave everything to God That's where we need to be today. We need to take time and look inside and see what is holding us back. See what we are denying, what we are keeping from God. Seek His forgiveness and give it to Him. That's the only way that this small group can change the world. And this small group can change the world. With the faith of a grain of mustard seed, we can move mountains. All over the world, we've seen small groups of men and women make huge differences. See great revivals. See millions turn back to God. It's possible here. So as we prepare today to go down to the park and go through our, our, our next services, just... Seek God. Be right with Him and let Him lead. And follow. Him.